you guys are good. <laughs> Those watching by way of television, we have viewers from four or five different states. This is the Abilene Christian uh, Acapella Chorus this morning, and we are so delighted. A lot of our students go to ACU from First Baptist Church of Amarillo, and we are so delighted how well you've represented your university this morning. Thank you for such worshipful music. We, we are grateful for the gift of your time and uh, participating with us this morning. We continue our Luke and Sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, the sweet smell of success. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. If you've missed one of our sermons in our Lucan series, I would invite you to go to firstamarillo.org and you can print it off or watch it or listening to it so you can catch up and keep up with our series this morning. Jesus received an invitation from Simon the Pharisee, come to dinner. Now, even though Jesus didn't have a lot of great things to say about the Pharisees. He RSVP'd, I'll be there. In the first century, private parties were something of a public affair. If you, even if you didn't have an invitation, you could gather around in the courtyard. As long as you didn't interrupt the invited guest in their conversation, you were allowed to listen in to what was being said at the table. Interestingly, Simon did not invite Jesus as an equal. He didn't give him any of the usual courtesies that would have been expected in first century Palestine. He skipped over the refreshing anointing of the head of Jesus. He did not give him the kiss of greeting upon the cheek. He did not wash the feet of the weary traveler, Jesus. He didn't do any of these things. Perhaps the real reason that Simon invited Jesus to dine was more out of a sense of curiosity than a sense of respect. Having heard that Jesus was a popular prophet, Simon wanted to see who this celebrity, this new teacher might be. A woman who's a sinner shows up at the party she makes preparation. She's a party crasher. She's uninvited. And although Luke does not reveal the nature of her sin, the label sinner probably is a euphemism for a person of promiscuity. Have you ever noticed how much Jesus attracts sinners as he traveled and he taught? And yet his message was a call that sinners should come and repent and receive the kingdom of God. But in all of his moralizing, in all of his ethical demands, Jesus, though he never soft-pedaled on sin, he so communicated the love and the grace and the goodness of God that despite his moral demands that they leave it all, they all came to follow Jesus. What was it about Jesus that made his message so meaningful, so inviting to them? In the Academy of Fine Arts in Venice, there hangs a painting by Paolo Veronese. It's huge. It's 18 feet by 41 feet long. It was entitled, Christ in the House of Levi. 
And there, Veronese, the famous painter, depicts Jesus with a motley crew around the Christ. There's Roman soldiers there. There's a man with a bloody nose. There's stray dogs in the painting. There's midgets in the painting. There's slaves, buffoons, and anachronistic drunk Germans are all gathered around in this painting by Veronese. Well, the Inquisition called Veronese to explain the numerous irreverences found in this painting. Those kind of people shouldn't be in a painting about Jesus. Why this motley crew around the Christ? Veronese explained to the authorities, have you not read the gospel? That's exactly the kind of people that Jesus would have attracted to his side. (laughs) They weren't impressed. They weren't convinced. They told him he had to change the title of the painting to make it a, a secular painting that had nothing to do with Jesus, or he would be scandalized. It was those folks, wasn't it? The tax gatherers, the half-breeds, the foreigners, the women of ill repute, they all hung out with Jesus. They were the kind of people that God loves. They were the kind of people that God loves. 736, I call this verse the invitation. Look at, look at 736. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, Luke alone tells us of all the gospel writers that Jesus ever sat down and ate with Pharisees. And that does tell us that he was a teacher of some statue that he would be invited to break bread with the Pharisees. But don't mistake this as necessarily friendly greetings. Because every time that he sits down in Luke's gospel to break bread with the Pharisees, he offends his host every single time. The parties never end well when Jesus gathers with the Pharisees. 37 through 39, I call this the sinner. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and she kept wiping them with her hair on her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. Well, her grand entry is advertised by Luke's word, Behold, get ready, here she comes, behold, an unexpected presence, a grand entry. All of us have to be known for something. How would you like to be the nameless woman who is the sinner? That's who she is. She didn't have a name. She's just called over and again the woman, the sinner. Undoubtedly, it marks 
Who's a prostitute by vocation, a whore by social status, contagious in her impurity, and probably one who fraternizes with the Gentiles for economic purposes. You get the picture. Don't think that this is a short event. Luke uses imperfect tenses. In fact, I would retranslate the verses this way. While weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept on wiping them with her hair and kept on kissing his feet, continually anointing them with perfume. Look at verse 45. You gave me no kiss, Simon, but she, since the time I came, has not ceased to kiss my feet. This is continual action. She keeps on. It's not anything you can ignore. She is crying and weeping and wiping and anointing and kissing. It goes on and on. The first century, of course, you've heard it before. The diners would kind of put their elbow down, the head at the table, their feet away from the table. Therefore, she had access to the feet of Jesus. It might be lost on us in our great day of hygiene, but in Scripture, have you, have you ever noted all the negative things about feet? If you really conquer your enemy, he becomes your what? Footstool. Underneath my feet is the nastiest place you can be. You're my footstool. When John the baptizer wants to say the most humble thing he can, he says, while one is coming after me, and I am not even worthy to touch his feet. To touch the thong of his sandal. You remember that. And the upper room, the disciples could not bring themselves to wash each other's feet. It's, it's too lowly of a task. Not even a Jewish slave could be made to do that. Don't touch the feet. And yet, six times, this prostitute is said to be positioned at the feet of Jesus. The feet. Maybe she had heard Isaiah 52.7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of messengers who announce peace, who bring good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Maybe she recognized the beautiful feet of the Messiah who walks with those feet to preach the good news. And you remember in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, the women clasp his feet. They clasp his feet to worship him. Now she lets down her hair, kind of a provocative thing to do in that day. At that time, but also a posture of grief and supplication. She weeps and she wipes his feet, the dirt of his feet upon her hair. 39, I call the judgment. Look at verse 39. Now the Pharisee had invited him, saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. He can't possibly be a prophet. If he really were a teacher of God, he would have known what kind of woman this was. You know, a real prophet can smell sin, sniff it out a mile away. He didn't know she's a sinner. 
He missed it. Jesus missed it. Simon is sure that he must have missed it. What's interesting is this. Simon has already dismissed the woman, and he is sure that God agrees with him. How about you? You cast moral judgments upon other people, and you're pretty sure God agrees with you too. There's no question in Simon's mind. The woman is a sinner. She is to be judged, and he is right. He is with God, and therefore Jesus, the rabbi, cannot be with God because he has failed to recognize the woman as a sinner. Notice what he calls Jesus. He calls him this man. If this man, if this nameless guy now, he's missed it. He didn't sniff out the sin. What's unsettling about this story is that Jesus knows the heart of Simon. Simon has that conversation just in his own head. And Jesus hears it all. The reason that's unsettling to me is that means that Jesus knows all the conversations I have in my head, too. You see? Simon, Jesus heard all of his thoughts. Simon knows everything about religion and nothing about God. That'll be frightening to us. Simon knows everything about religion. You give him a test on the temple, he would pass. You give him a test on the law, he'd be valedictorian. He knows everything, but he knows nothing. He's like the guy who manages somehow to jump in the swimming pool and not get wet. He's around the place and the people of God, and yet he misses it all. He misses the essence of God's grace and forgiveness. 41 through 47, we have the parable. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to pay, repay, he graciously forgave them both. That, that he graciously forgave them, that's not a, a bad translation. The direct translation is he graced them. I like that better. He graced them, just gave them grace. Graciously forgave them, that's okay, but just he graced them. He forgave them their debt. Which one of them, therefore, will love him the more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little... Loves little. Simon, the banker, graces two people. One, 50, one, tenfold, 500. He just graces a debt and calls it clean. 
Which one do you think loves the banker the most? I don't know, says Simon. I guess the one that he forgave the most. You are right. I came to your house and you gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears. You gave me no kiss for my face. She has kissed my feet. In those days, a disciple would kiss a teacher's hand. An equal would kiss a cheek. You did nothing, but she has kissed my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, and she has broken the bottle. Extravagant worship for my feed. Oh, you're right, Simon. She is a sinner. Whoa, whoa, is she a sinner. And you're wrong. I do know all about her sin. But let me tell you this, Simon. He who is forgiven much loves much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. It is the truest kind of worship. It is the gratitude that comes forth from grace. The truest kind of worship is when our gratitude comes forth from God's grace. The woman knew she had been forgiven. She was extravagant. She broke the expensive bottle of perfume and put them on the feet of Jesus. When you think you are good, you don't think you need God. When you think you are good, you don't think you need God. When you know you're horrible, you worship with the gratitude that comes from grace. Everything about Simon and this woman were diametrically opposed. Simon was a religious professional and she was a professional sinner. Simon was respected and she was rejected. He dined with Jesus and didn't get anything about who Jesus was. She sat at his feet and understood everything about who he was. The forgiveness, 48 through 50. The forgiveness. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were climbing the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man that he even forgives sin? He said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Every encounter with Jesus ought to end with a sinner receiving a Savior. Your faith has saved you. You are forgiven. Twice, verse 37, verse 39, the lady is called the sinner, you know, the sinner. And now she's called by Jesus, the one who is forgiven. The one who is forgiven. Have you ever noticed throughout the Bible, 
that God shows a marked preference for real people over good people? Have you ever noticed that? Is it not Jesus who said there would be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents versus the 99 righteous who do not need him? Is it not Jacob the rascal who is chosen over his brother? Is it not David the adulterer and murderer who becomes the greatest king of Israel, a man after God's own heart? Is it not the Apostle Paul with a murderous heart on the road to Damascus that becomes the prince of the apostles, the writer of our New Testaments? If you're here this morning or watching by way of television, God's not interested in your being good. He's interested in your being real. The woman had faith, and Jesus forgave her. Jesus had the incredible ability not to see people for who they are, but to see people for who they could become. Jesus had the incredible ability not to see people for who they are, but to see people for who they could become. Not Simon. Simon made every sinner a prisoner of her past. He put people in the prison of their past sins. Simon remembered and rehearsed everybody's sins and then let you know that he didn't have many, if any. Simon could only see the woman for what she had done, and Jesus could see her for who she could become. And then she hears those words that we all long to hear. Your sins are forgiven. What do you want to hear Jesus say to you one day? Count me in with the lady, not with Simon. I want to hear those words. Didn't she hear at the end of the story what every one of us wants to hear at the end of our story from our Lord? Because of the cross, you are not good. You are forgiven. You're a sinner. And your faith has brought you a Savior. Are you more like Simon or more like Jesus? Do you lock people in the prison of their sins of the past? Or do you see people for who they can be in God's grace? Let the words of Jesus sink in. He who has been forgiven much loves much. You know somebody like that. I know somebody like that. They wake up every day rejoicing with gratitude and worshiping over the grace of God. They are forgiven, and they will not forgive it. Is your worship extravagant? 
what kind of offering did you bring today? This woman brought the whole bottle of perfume. She gave like she had gratitude for God's grace. Do you give that way when you worship? Now, what makes us really uncomfortable about these stories that Jesus tells What makes us uncomfortable about the masterful penmanship of the physician Luke is this. Every time Luke writes and every time Jesus speaks, it's an invitation. You're supposed to pick out a character in the story that is you. I'm not real sure I like the character that I most resemble in this story. How about you? Are we Simon locking people in the prison of their past sins? Are we the one who thinks we've been forgiven little? Or do we come with no pride, put our, find our place at the feet of the Messiah and say, I love you. And I am grateful for your grace. Who are you in this story? Let's join the woman weeping in our worship at the feet of our Savior, now bloodied and resurrected feet of our Savior. For we've all been forgiven much. We're all the sinner of Luke 7. And we can all hear those words of Jesus if we come in faith, humility, and gratitude. My last words, the words you want to hear from Jesus, not from me. Your sins are forgiven. Let us pray. Oh God, many watching by way of television and others here in this great sanctuary, maybe the The idea today is I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I join the sinner in the story at the feet of Jesus. I make no pretense. I have have no pride. And I declare how beautiful are the feet of the one upon the mountains who brings good news. Maybe there are others here this morning, oh God, some who who need to come and say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And maybe there are others here this morning who need to come and be a part of this fellowship, worshiping and working together for the kingdom of God. For at the feet of Jesus, we smell the sweet smell of forgiveness. Amen.